on today's episode, Measuring Your Power Output with Nathan Fenton. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Super pumped today because in the last two days or so, the downloads for this uh, this podcast has gone gangbusters, um, mainly due to uh, you might have come across because you've listened to a few of my appearances, either on maybe Zach Bitter's uh, running podcast or Triathlon Taron's podcast over the last couple of days. I don't know, but uh, we uh, this podcast is now trending as number one in the US for running podcasts and I'm just stoked. It's it's awesome. And I've just had a, a burst of downloads. So hopefully we're getting some new people on board who want to run smarter and have recognized this is what they need to be better runners. Uh, if you are a new listener and haven't listened to the first couple of episodes, I do recommend and advise people go back to at least listening to the first 10 episodes that covers the 10 universal principles to overcome any running injury or help prevent injuries. And it ties in really well with today's episode because within those universal principles, we learn about load quantification. First, we have the adaptation zones and we need to learn about those adaptation zones. Then we have like in episode three, we're talking about undergoing stress management and analyzing mechanical quantification. How can we measure the loads that go through our body when we're running to see if we are exceeding our adaptation zone, whether we're falling within our adaptation zone and learning more about you along the way. And that's where Nathan Fenton comes in. So Nathan is a running coach and he has runpowercoach.com and he hones in on analyzing and measuring power output in runners and designing programs around power to help understand more about the runner. He dives into this throughout this interview. We talk about what power is, what devices we should use, how we should implement it, how we can extract the data. Is it for everyone? What's the difference between um, heart rate and pace? Why can't we just do mileage and pace and just measuring heart rate zones? And we answer your patron questions as well. Thank you so much to John, Rachel, and Campbell for submitting those questions. Um, John, you've just snuck in just in time to submit your question. Well done. And I discussed this on the interview, but I didn't know much about measuring your power output either. And it's got me intrigued and I've done some reading of the research, preparing for this interview. So I've learned a lot as well. You're going to take away a lot from this interview. Uh, Nathan was great to have on. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me on social media or join the podcast Facebook group. Come say hi. Um, If you want to ever become a patron and start asking questions to guests and get the exclusive benefits like exclusive podcast episodes that you can access in the Run Smarter app. There's always a link in the show notes to every episode of this podcast on how to um, exactly become a patron. It's $5 per month. We're probably getting about five new patrons every single month. And if you're interested in doing that, just click on the link, sign up, and then there's instructions on how to dive into our our podcast patron Facebook group. So only the patrons are in this specific Facebook group and that's where we chat about where to submit answers or submit questions um, and vote on future topics of the podcast and just interact better. It's It's been a blast having a bunch of like-minded people who have such faith and love the podcast so much just to mingle with them. So yeah, if you are a patron already, thank you very much. And if you're interested, there's always a link in the show notes. 
enough about me rambling on. I do have, like I said, a bit of a heightened excitement the last couple of days because of the success of the podcast. Um, but let's get on with our interview. So let's jump on board. Sorry, just still me again. Uh, I have now slapped in the interview and found out that my microphone settings were quite off. Like I said, I got a new microphone the other week and still um, working with the settings. So I might sound a bit fuzzy. Um, I'll try my best to work on that audio quality, but um, learning along the way, I'm no tech savvy guru when it comes to these sort of things. But um, yeah, pardon my poor audio quality for this episode. Nathan sounds absolutely fantastic. And um, yeah, enough delays. Let's dive in. Nathan Fenton, welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. For those who aren't familiar with you, can you maybe just give an intro about your your work and how you've sort of merged into run coaching and working with power? Absolutely. Um, I started running when I was about seven. Um, been doing triathlon since I was about 12. I'm 40 now, so it's been a while. Um, I, I started, I worked in financial markets for ages and, and got sick of it. So I started trying to find a way to make my own business out of something I knew. And I felt like I knew running pretty well. Um, so I started teaching running technique in about 2014. Um, I still teach that occasionally, but my main focus is writing training programs for people online. And um, I do that predominantly with the use of a power meter and the data that comes out of that. Cool. And was there a, a reason why you sort of transitioned to, into that special interest of using power to design these programs? Yeah, when I was, um, I was writing technique sort of homework for people and people were asking for, for more structured programming, but I was hesitant to give it to them because I couldn't see the way they were running. And I think, I mean, you teach technique yourself, don't you? you? You know what it's like when you set them out into the big wide world and it's sort of like, I hope they can do this part well. And you, you try not to overload them with too much information, but sometimes the difference between doing it in the lab or in, in the studio and then going out onto the road is a lot different. So um, I was hesitant to write programs because I couldn't see the way they were running basically. Um, so I was looking for a few different solutions. Um, the original stride power meter I'd seen a few times and it was a heart rate strap at that point. Um, I was in two minds. I, I knew power from cycling, but I was in two minds as to whether or not it would work for running. And then I saw the additional metrics that they also have that would give me feedback on like how long their, their foot spent on the ground, how, um, how fast their cadence was, things like a vertical oscillation was a big one, how high they were jumping. So I, I looked into that further and found that um, using a power meter, I could get some feedback on how well people were running as well as how far, how fast, that sort of thing. So um, I was using that to begin with and then just transitioned into writing programs purely using the power meter. Right. Did you have much experience yourself like using a stride device or doing any running following your own power metrics? Not stride based. Um, so I'd used running, uh, sorry, cycling power since about two. 2010, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So I knew the, the concepts of it. Um, translating it to running is a little bit different because I guess on a bike, you've got the same um, uh, circular motion of the, the pedals and the, the wheels. Um, running your stride length could be different. Your vertical oscillation could be different. So I knew that it wouldn't completely translate. Um, but no, I didn't have any, I, I bought a power meter, a stride power meter really quickly and uh, played around with it quite a lot. Loved it, fell in love with it completely. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, started, I uh, had two clients that I took from the technique work and, and started writing programs for. And I think, I'm, I mean, I'm still learning. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's quite recent that the, the Stride device actually come out over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, I think it was like 2016. Yeah, right. And so the, um, this is what like people tell me when they're talking about power-based running. They say like cyclists have been doing it for years. They've been following a pretty regimented program of, different training zones and following a certain power output in their training sessions. And it seems like runners haven't had the ability to do so, or if they did, it was quite inaccurate and they're just following certain formulas. But now it seems like we are coming up with devices that have a little bit more accuracy so that we can follow power programs. So if we'll dive into kind of like the practical aspects of what it actually looks like, but um, 
what, how would you define power if someone isn't really familiar and people just run off feel and distance and pace? What, how is it any different? You could say that it's not. You could um, just, me- on, on a really basic level, you can say it's a measure of intensity. So if you are used to running with heart rate, you could completely swap that out and just use power instead of heart rate. Um, the zones work in a similar kind of way. Um, same with pace. If you use pace zones or RPE zones, then you could swap that out um, and use power. It, at its very basic level, it is just a measure of intensity. I think the difference between the others is that it's more um, objective. There's a lot less uh, external factors that come into play. So let's say with heart rate, if it's really hot, your heart rate's going to be higher. Or um, if you're loaded on caffeine, it's going to be higher. If you're tired, it's going to be higher. It's also quite a big lag. So let's say you've got a couple of short hill sprints. If you did a you know, 20 second hill sprint, by the time you got to the top, your heart rate's only just starting to climb. So you can't really use heart rate on those shorter intervals and it is always quite lagging. Um, so power is quite quick, um, almost in, they say instantaneous, I reckon two or three seconds and you've got a reading on your watch of what your intensity is. Um, and with pace, you're, um, let's say you're going up that hill, you're fighting against gravity. So you're going to have to work harder to get up that hill at the same pace. But you could look at power as more of a, an input, how much work you're actually doing um, to get up to that pace. And it's really good for undulating um, uh, uh, courses and keeping a really steady kind of intensity. Yeah. And it's good comparing those two things because I think a lot of runners either like running off feel or heart rate or pace. And I know when I go out for a run, I'll say I choose a distance for myself and choose a, a roundabout pace, but it'll depend on how I feel once I start running. But we do know how wildly your heart rate can fluctuate based on a whole bunch of different variables. And I've had um, researcher Chris Schneider on to talk about how kind of inaccurate heart rates can be and uh, how many things can actually influence your heart rate rather than how hard you're actually working. And when you're talking about pace, then we're not really taking into consideration, yes, if it's completely flat and you can run at a consistent pace and the power might be quite same, but as soon as you start getting any sort of undulation or any sort of hills, you'll be trying to keep up with the pace that you've set yourself, but it's going to be extremely hard going up and then downhill and would make that measurement a bit harder to follow. And so what you're saying is the power kind of collaborates and keeps all that into consideration. So you're kind of remaining consistent. So you can be slower on the hills, but still producing the same power. Exactly. Yeah. I guess um, I'd look at pace as kind of an output. It's what happens after everything's happened. Um, your power could be an input and heart rate might be how you're responding to that. So kind of that, that internal process. So, I mean, I still use all those metrics, um, but I use power as a, um, the, the primary metric pace and, and heart rate are secondary to that. Okay. So you mentioned the stride kind of device. Can you explain what that is and if there are any other devices on the market that people can use? Yeah. Stride is a, a little foot pod that just clips onto your shoelaces um, it uses an accelerometer to get a, a three-dimensional um, force and impact calculation, and it calculates power on the back of that. Um, there are a couple of others that are coming out. Um, Garmin have had one for a while that I've not used, but it's they've got a little clip that I think goes onto clips onto your shorts. Um, they've also got the newer ones are, are built into a heart rate strap. Um, I know that there was one around that I don't think is around anymore that was a... Um, an insole that goes into your shoes. I think it was R- RPM squared or something like that. Um, I have a feeling they're not around anymore, but I haven't heard much from them lately. Um, more recently, Coros and Polar have built them into their watches. So um, if you've got a Coros, I think almost all the Coros now have power um, and some of the newer Polar have power built in. Um, so they're, you know, they're, st- they're starting to come around. It's, it's a slow burn, um, but companies are investing lots to um, to bring this sort of product into their into market. So I think it will stick around, but Stride is definitely my my choice. Yeah, it seems to make sense if it is a foot pod, like the, the type of data that it would be gathering because it can measure a, a few different things. Um, 
And if it's strapped to your foot, it, like if it's got an accelerometer on it, if it's got GPS location or something on it, then it can combine a whole bunch of different information and use it in different ways. So as a coach, how are you extracting it, uh, the data, and how are you, how is it useful for you um, when you're planning like a training program? Are you telling someone to, okay, your next run should be at this power, or are you extracting the power after the runs and interpreting it in different ways? This is um, this is a podcast in itself. It's there are probably four basic ways I use the data. Um, as I touched on before, you can you can just get your threshold and and use the zones. So let's say you are used to using heart rate, you might do a um, a threshold heart rate threshold test to get your threshold heart rate, and then extrapolate zones on the back of that, whether they be easy, moderate, threshold interval kind of zones, or zone one, two, three, etc. Um, you can do that with a power meter. Um, you do a test to get your threshold out of it. And then everything is sort of based on that threshold. Um, if you wanted to go out for an easy run on that, then it might tell you that zone one or zone two is between 180 watts and 210 watts. So you just maintain your intensity between that. So that's the very basic way of doing it. And that's the first thing I'd suggest people do. Um, beyond that, they've got additional metrics that come out of the, the power data. So things like ground contact time, um, cadence, um, vertical oscillation, leg spring stiffness, those sort of things I use a lot to guide the, um, the skill-based training. So let's say cadence is really low or, or ground contact time is really high. Um, let's say as you fatigue, your foot spends longer on the ground is shown up in, in higher ground contact time at the end of a run. So we might do a little more plyometrics to um, speed up that, that process and, um, and make sure that people are lifting their feet up, keeping that natural muscle elasticity bouncing along. Um, so the, the second way I use the data is to take that additional data and, and guide the skill-based training. Um, there is a, it's called a power duration curve. It's, it's where I think the value in, in power meters lie and it's basically a chart that shows you how much power you can put out for each duration so on the left hand side you've got you know one second effort might be really high in the middle a 20 minute effort might be you know medium and then on the long end a three hour effort might be less power so you can chart that and as a result of that you can work out where your maximum is and you can train just below that let's say you're writing intervals you want to train just below your power duration curve and then you have a rest week and then you go back again and, and try and get a higher power based on that power duration curve. Um, and then the, the fourth method is to use it for strategizing races. So if it's a really consistent effort, let's say you've got a, a road 10K, you're going to race your 10K probably around threshold. So you know your threshold's 300 watts, you're going to race it at 300 watts. You want to keep that as consistent as possible. Um, you know that too much time spent above threshold, you're going to end up burying yourself. So you want to maybe keep it at, depends how confident you are. Maybe you want to keep it at 97, 98% of threshold. Um, maybe you want to push above towards the end when it's okay if you blow up. So that kind of race planning is, is um, really useful with this power data. Uh, I, I'm not usually one to just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Really focus on data and work at thresholds and know a lot about my body that way, but it looks very similar as what cyclists do. I've used Zwift with my indoor bike before. And what they do is they put you through a threshold test and they see like how much power you can put out, what your sort of max power is and how, how good you are on the bike. And then based on that, those measurements that you do through that threshold, like activity, then you can allocate like these individualized training zones and say, okay, your zone one is here, your zone two is here, your zone three is here, et cetera. It seems like you're doing a very, very similar approach and you can almost like adapt to the individual, how good of a runner they are or how efficient they are with their output and then program that training accordingly. So when you do 
uh, put out a running, say, program, you say, okay, we want to do this amount of runs in zone two, zone three, and then the runner themselves will know, okay, that's 200 watts or that's, you know, 150 watts, that sort of thing. Am I on the Absolutely. right track there? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same principle. Yeah. And then so with the, um, the individual kind of aspects, when you're talking about contact time, cadence, that sort of thing, you are as a coach, like analyzing those for the individual. So we can say maybe a runner keeps their cadence and form their entire duration, say for a 10 K run, but you might have other runners. You say you might be getting a bit too sloppy, a little bit too fatigued, and you can see your metrics changing by the eighth K at this certain zone. Um, you can see that your maybe your cadence is getting a bit low or your contact time's getting quite high. And then when, once you learn that for that individual, you can give them some cues or change their training so that they can start performing more optimally and keeping up their cadence and contact time, that sort of thing. hundred percent. It's, um, it's very customizable because you get the data from the individual data per person. No two training plans are the same. Even if you wanted them to be the, the same, the, the thresholds are different. Their time to exhaustion is different there. There's so much that's, um, all it does is bring out the, the intricacies of each individual runner. So you can really, I, I'm always looking for the low hanging fruit. I want the biggest return for the minimal effort from, from an athlete. I don't want them to, to bury themselves and not be able to come out of a, a hole from too much training. I want the training to be customized and smart training. So when we find the, um, the, the item with the, the biggest return, that's what we're going to target. And as you say, if seven or eight K is into the 10 K, their ground contact time's getting low, uh, getting high and their, their cadence is getting low, then that's what we work on. Okay. So we're learning uh, these metrics about the individual, but it seems like that fourth point that you mentioned, we're sort of going from an assessment analysis point and then kind of shifting that data and putting it into a performance based and saying, okay, my race is now this long and I know that I can um, perform at a certain wattage or at a certain power for this duration. So let me just put that into my plan. Let me just say I'll head out to this certain power. And I know that like my, based on my training and based on my previous data that I've collected, that I'll perform the best at this. Is that, is that quite similar? Absolutely. Yeah. If, if when you're getting to the specific part of your training block, um, you know, what kind of power you're going to be hitting for the race. So you can work to that. It might be a couple of intervals at that kind of intensity. Um, and then you build that time in zone so that you're more comfortable around that. But also um, if you're, let's say you're working on trail races, so you've got more hills or different terrain. Um, you know that 20 K is in, you've got a hill, which is long and grinding. What you can do is at the end of your long run, you replicate that because you know, the kind of power you expect to hit on that hill. Um, you might be able to not necessarily have the, the hill that you're going to race on, but a hill that's similar. Um, and you can do repetitions on that after a long run. So that it sort of gives you more, um, more insight into the, the things that you can work on and how to um, more closely replicate that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're sort of diving into all these questions I have written down without me actually having a look. So I want to make sure that I answer or ask all these questions, especially the ones from the patrons. So Campbell asks, um, what other metrics do you use? Leg stiffness, um, step length, flight time, contact time. We've sort of touched on that, but is there any other things that you need, you want to add to that question? Um, probably form power. I don't think I mentioned that before. Form power is a ratio of how much power you you use to basically to hold yourself upright versus how much power you're using to push yourself forward. So you want as much power as possible pushing yourself forward, but there is a, a bit of wasted power in running just because of um, the vertical movement, um, the side to side movement, and it is a 3D plane. It's not like where our feet are stuck in pedals and we can only go one way. So yeah, form power, I look at a little bit, not heaps. How would you use that? Like practically, would someone have poor, like too uh, to high of a form power or like, yep. how do you use that? So I'd say most runners are sort of 27. Most of the people I deal with would be 27 to 32%, depending on how tired they're getting, how long they're running for. Um, so let's say somebody was at 35, 38% uh, form power. I'd probably wonder why they're wasting so much um, energy. I'd then look at their vertical oscillation. If that was over kind of seven, 
eight centimeters, I possibly look into how high they're, well, obviously they're jumping too high. They need to um, get their hips forward. They need to pick up their feet quicker. So I'd look at ground contact time. So it's kind of this big circle. It's um, one poor metric will probably flow onto something else. So I'd look at the, the thing that's furthest out and work out why that's furthest out based on the others, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we're, so form power, like we always need form power to stay upright, like you said, but we want to be as efficient as we can and get that form power quite low so that yep. we can use the remaining power to, for propulsion and I guess performance. And so if someone is quite high with their form power, they might be doing some unnecessary um, movements or inefficient kind of movements where we can guide them to, to be more efficient with the propulsion rather than just like being upright and moving left, right, and having all these other unnecessary movements. Exactly. Okay. Um, Campbell also asks, um, are you using this over undulating surfaces for pace and effort guidance? I think you've already answered that, haven't you? Uh, we touched on it. Yeah. On trails, it's, it's amazing for that. Um, you, you're not necessarily going to maintain the same power um, on longer trail races just because of the undulation or the, um, the duration, there might be some walking involved. So you can give yourself limits or, or targets um, based on the terrain of the race. So it might be like, you've got an uphill running power, you've got a flat running power, um, an uphill hiking power and a downhill running power. And there are four different targets you can use within the race to, to guide how hard you're going to hit it. Okay. And Rachel asked about the other devices that might be out there, which um, you've sort of mentioned a few now, I guess, to elaborate on Rachel's question, is there much, do we know much about the accuracy of the stride versus other devices? The stride have done the most testing on the accuracy of it because it is a, a model. Um, they've modeled it to uh, force plate treadmills. Um, I think they had some high resolution motion capture video um, and it's really highly correlated to metabolic testing as well. So from this power data, you can model VO2 and, and threshold, all those sort of things. Um, so I'm really confident that it is highly correlated to um, say a metabolic cart. Um, the others I'm not so sure about. I, I have a Coros as well. And I've noticed that the built-in power meter to a Coros is really similar to a stride uh, as in one or two watts difference. So I'm really happy with that, but I haven't actually used the others. I know that Garmin is like my threshold is about 310 watts um, using a Garmin. It's about 700. So that must be a different calculation. I'm not sure what they base it on, but all of my clients use stride or Coros. Okay. Um, I did dive into a little bit of the articles and did a little bit of research that you helped me with um, to look at, I guess, some accuracy. Um, I, from what I've found, uh, the stride was very accurate with like its GPS location compared to like a few other devices. And uh, the papers I looked at sort of like they concluded that it is like the stride device is like very useful for monitoring individuals like it one of them I looked at, um, it was like sub-maximal speeds and they found it quite accurate, especially the cadence and the step length. They, they tend, to, tend to be extremely accurate, which makes a lot of sense based on where the device is like placed on the body. Um, and it seemed that um, in one paper that I looked at, the um, contact time was slightly underestimated and the flight time was slightly overestimated. But the general conclusion was based on all the other metrics that it gathers um, it's still really useful for an individual. Like that's the the conclusions they came to. Um, yeah, I actually turned the the distance and pace off on my Sunto and used Stride's calculation of it because it was more accurate. Uh, with the GPS, it doesn't have a GPS built into it, but I think it just based on the accelerate accelerometer, it works out right. step length and mm. um, and works out pace and distance based on that. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And based on like what, what I've sort of pulled from the evidence, there's no real major gaps or any major flaws in the device, which is good to know. I'll, yeah. I'll tick off this one last patron um, question. Um, so John asks the, he, I, I guess he's been doing a lot of training with heart rate and using just the heart rate zones. And he asks what's the, the best approach from, I guess, 
from transitioning from training with heart rate to then training with power, how would you best make a, a transition between the two? I'd say um, keep the program that you're using with with heart rate. Pick up a power meter and do a threshold test. For, my favorite threshold test is just a three-minute all-out effort and a nine-minute all-out effort, and then you work out the average of that and multiply it by 0.9. That's your threshold. Um, when you actually get a stride, the app that comes with it will show you any number of methods to get your threshold. And that's the first thing they suggest you do. You get a, you work out your threshold and then it'll give you your zones. So if you've got a program that's, or, or you just run based on your heart rate, knowing your heart rate zones, you can just translate that to um, power zones. Once you've got that, keep doing whatever you're doing. So a lot of people think that uh, training with a power meter is a, is a system. It's not, it's, it's a way of measuring the plan that you're already using. So if you've already got a plan that can, you can keep using that. You just add in power to be able to quantify what you're doing. Okay. Is that following any particular method that like nine minutes of running, three minutes of running to determine your threshold? Is that like a, a type of, is that a system that's well recognized or is this one that you've found? It's kind of, um, I like it because it's short and sweet. It's fairly accurate. Um, I also model um, threshold based on more data, basically 90 days worth of data, you can get a, a really accurate model of threshold. Um, I think it's sort of a, a loosely based on the Conconi test. Just, you just need some anaerobic work, some aerobic work. Um, you can work it out based on a 5k time trial, or I think some people use like a 1k and a 5k. Um, but as long as you've got a representation of your anaerobic capacity and your aerobic capacity, then you should be pretty close. Okay. And then you determine your threshold and then you just build the zones around that and yep. building out like a running program. Is there, do you follow any particular methods of how often people should be in certain zones um, based on percentage? Cause I usually use like a very loose percentage of like 70 to 80% of your um, weekly mileage should be at low intensity and, you know, 20, 15 to 20 can be at the top tier sort of things. seems to be a very generic, which I don't think is based on evidence, but do you have any particular guidance of where people fall into and how often they should be spending in different zones? So that 80-20 idea is um, is based on Stephen Saylor's, uh, uh, I've got a mental blank now, starts with P, polarized training. Um, and it was, it, it's what I use at the moment as well. Um, it was based on observations of elite athletes noticing that they, the majority of their work was done super slow, very easy, um, more like a recovery kind of thing. And then they were more rested to be able to hit that high intensity work. So I love it. Um, it's so good to hear you say that you use it because it's a brilliant um, methodology. The, yeah. That will work. Um, if you have a, I, I also wrote, write sort of a Canova style, which is more like a further out from the race, you do really high intensity and really low intensity. And as you get closer to the race, you meet in the middle at race intensity. Um, so I have um, a whole bunch of different styles that I write programming in. But at the end of the day, if you get a bunch of easy stuff done, if you get a bunch of, a little bit of really high intensity stuff done and you fill the middle with, um, you know, that kind of tempo work, then if you're covering those different ranges, then you're going to be good. I think towards the end, as you get close to a race, if that's what you're working towards, you want to get comfortable at race intensity. But in general, if, you, if you're mixing up the intensities, you have a full range of intensities, um, then you're going to be in a good position. Mm. And you mentioned before that power isn't like the system itself. It's just what, what a, a measurement that we can use. And for most cases, it is like the primary um, thing that you do follow, the primary data that you do follow, but you use other things as well. Uh, so as a coach, what else would you monitor? What, what else would you put up on your priority list? First, yeah, as I said, first would be power, but the, the secondary um metrics would be heart rate and pace. Um, once you've got those three, you can derive a whole bunch of different uh, calculations that are useful for knowing how efficient somebody is or how much work they're doing aerobically, how much work they're doing anaerobically. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes off the back of that, but heart rate and pace would be secondary. Um, I'd also 
measure someone's training load. So I'd put an index on, um, on each workout. And then I look at a short-term average of that index and then a long-term average of that index. So like seven days worth of work compared to 42 days worth of work. Um, it's called the performance management chart in training peaks. If anyone wants to look it up, cause it's, it's really interesting. You can know basically how much of a hole you're putting in, putting yourself in and how quickly you can come out of that. So we know that we want stress and we know that we want adaptation. Trying to get that balance right is quite tricky. So I look at the, um, the chronic training load and the acute training load. And also I look at the tone from comments. Um, I use training peaks. So when somebody finishes their scheduled workout, they put a, a little comment in just a one or two sentences. And I, I take the kind of the mood they're in. I take the tone out of that. And that is, that helps me guide um, any iterations of their training going forward. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you put those that comment option in as well because there's almost two schools of thought or two approaches that people like one is the heavy data driven ones which tends to be your cyclists triathletes they love focusing on numbers and mm -hmm. zones and sticking to that and following a very regimented program but then there's a recreational runner who might not necessarily like following the numbers and just go off feel, go off mood, go off like their recovery, just like how much sleep they've had and how good they feel and going out there and um, making the decision based. I know I've gone out for a run and changed my entire um, what I had planned because I feel good or because I don't feel so good. I feel a bit stiff or sore or I'm just like lacking energy. Um, so do, do you consider the importance of that as well? Do you find yeah. there's a balance between the two? Yeah, it's really important. I think um, a lot of elite athletes don't wear watches or, or completely dismiss the idea of power because they know how they feel. And I think that's really important quite often. I mean, you look at it at the beginning of a race when people are tapered, they're feeling good, they're loaded on caffeine, they go out too hard because they're feeling fresh. Um, the, the happy medium is monitoring these sort of things, monitoring the data but knowing how you feel as a result of that, you know, occasionally your, your watch is going to be dead or battery's dead, whatever happens. Um, you need to be able to run based on feel because all it comes back to, like there's just too much art among the science. So it's got to be a, a mix of the art and science to, to do well at this. And I think um, understanding how you feel and then linking that back to some data so that you've got two different things to look at and, and sort of a, a more well-rounded approach to it is really important yeah and i'm glad you say it like there's an art among the science is a really nice way to put it and from my understanding people know from listening to the earlier episodes in this podcast i teach all about adaptation zones i teach about um, you want to try and find your adaptation zone train as often as you can in that and once the body gets stronger and adapts you want to chase that adaptation zone because you will get stronger and your adaptation zone will increase and we need to chase that increase. But also we recognize that people can under recover, have poor sleep, have poor mood stress, and that can shift their current adaptation zone. and can actually drop sometimes their adaptation zone. And so I recognize that there is the mechanical components of it, like how many times your body hits the ground, how much loads going through your body and like looking at the, the power and the, the design and the numbers, but also recognize that everyone's an individual. The body responds differently to every individual. And based on what's going on outside of running and outside of that data-driven focus, say stress, say nutrition, say sleep, um, all of these numbers can fluctuate. And so that's, I guess that's where the art comes into it and why you say um, you take into consideration people's comments and the general mood on those comments. So I, I guess there is a balance. And I'm curious to hear your um, your thoughts on this. Being a power coach, is following the numbers right for every runner? Like, should there is there a type of runner where you say, you know what, we probably shouldn't focus on that. We should probably focus on how the body's feeling and let's um, derive our, our attention away from focusing on numbers. I think it depends a lot on what you're running for. Um, to me, I've always run for performance. I I like just going out and running, but 
I prefer to have a, I guess, a, a goal for that, that session. Um, I like to know that I'm getting better. So if you're the type that is either training for a race or um, looking for improvement, then a power meter absolutely will help you. Um, if you're if you just like running for the sake of running, then it's probably a three hundred dollar piece of bling on your foot that is unnecessary. Um, so I guess it depends what you're running for. But if you've got any inkling of um, wanting to get better or you you like the the data you get out of your watch, then you'll love a power meter absolutely. Yeah, I think I might add the comment as well, like. I do know certain runners that get too caught up in the numbers and they're yeah. like too self-driven and always you, you look at their running over the last one to two years and they're constantly injured. They're constantly trying to get back from injury and failing to get back to pain-free running. And they're constantly striving for performance at that point where they probably like, I'd say like focusing on the numbers, they probably don't need it right now. They probably should be listening to their body more. Um, but coming from a physio, like I see runners, that are injured all the time. And um, that's when I would probably skew them towards listening to their body. Um, I know a lot of runners are very type A, number-driven, self-motivated, self-driven to perform. And then because they love running so much, they want to constantly improve. Sometimes where they're currently at, they're constantly overreaching, overreaching, overreaching and getting um, a bit stuck and in that constant boom-bust injury cycle. it's not to say that that's the type of runner that shouldn't focus on the numbers at all, but just like right now in this little slump, in this boom bust cycle, they can probably steer away from focusing on numbers. Would you agree with that? Most of the time I would agree with that. Um, I think when uh, I've been doing this for over 30 years, so I know when I'm getting tired or when things are not going right. So I'll, I'll quite easily back it off. That's no problem. I, I know plenty of people that you mentioned that type A personality that, just want to keep working. They're like, no, no, it's fine. I'm just tired. I'll, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. But they end up digging themselves a, a hole so deep that they can't get out of. Um, when looking at the data, I mean, I can wake up in the morning and go, oh, it's not going to happen today. Um, instead of that speed workout, maybe I'll just go for a 45, 60 minute cruise, or maybe I'll just count it all together. Maybe I'll um, eat good food and try and get to sleep early tonight. So that's the, um, the, the feel sort of component of it. Um, I'm not as driven as some people I know. So it's easy for me to back off those people that I know that have trouble saying, I'm going to take a rest day today. Maybe the data would be helpful. So I know that, I mean, I touched on the power, uh, the, um, performance management chart before that chronic training load, the offset of that is called training stress balance. And that is basically how tired you are. So that gets lower and lower and lower. And over the years, I found that when mine gets to about negative 20, I start getting moody. Like my, I can tell that I'm just not uh, maybe a bit more snappy or I can tell that I'm not as happy as I would normally be. When it gets down to about 25, I start to get a few more niggles, negative 25, I get more niggles. And at about negative 30, I'm just like, I don't want to run anymore. This is not fun for me. So I think that's where the data can be useful. You can look at your training load in a really quantitative way and say, look, my TSB is at negative 20. I should back this off now. Yeah, it's, it's good insight and probably good like awareness of following your body and then following the numbers at the same time. And a lot of these times you might not be able to notice it until it's too late and unless you follow the numbers. So you might be saying like I'm at negative 20 um, and not not realize it until like a couple of days later when you are injured and be yeah. like, oh, damn. And so, yeah, it might be a way we can catch it in the moment or even forecast Um uh, a particular error or a, a a moody kind of state or an injury that might be arising that um, the body hasn't manifested yet. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. It, it took me a few stuff ups to work that out, but uh, I got there eventually. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine a lot of a lot of runners learn through their mistakes. Um, yep. Speaking of mistakes, have you seen any runners or any people using this power stuff, using these like training zones and misusing it or? misinterpreting it or having like being misguided anything like that yeah unfortunately to build out a really good power duration curve you have to do max efforts so you have to whether it be your one second or your 10 second or one minute power or 10 minute power to get a really good power duration curve and to get an accurate representation of what 
you're capable of, you need to go to max. So a lot of people will avoid those max efforts and the data is not accurate. That curve is not accurate. Um, so when the curve is built out, it's usually a, a sort of look back at the last 90 days. Sometimes your max efforts could slip out of that 90 day window and then your, your data is not accurate. So it's not that the number you get on your watch isn't right. You might still be a, still be putting out that power, but your zones are incorrect. So the biggest uh, mistake I see is people not doing max efforts and not being, not keeping that, um, that curve accurate. Okay. So when they're doing that, that threshold kind of calibration and they have to do say a three minute max effort or a nine minute max effort there, you're finding that they're not really reaching their true max. Yep. Definitely. Okay. And, and then, then their zones a, a will be skewed number. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And I don't think a lot of runners would know how to run at their max. I think a lot of recreational runners out there know that what's fast and they'll go and run fast, but not necessarily know how to run three minutes flight out um, unless they've like had some practice and it is yeah. hard. I actually heard a coach the other day saying that instead of doing the three minutes and nine minutes test, he does a one K and a five K because people know their, their PBs for those distances. So mm. they can pace it a little bit better. I'm not too concerned if they go out too hard and, and, you know, fade towards the end. Um, you still get a, a good representation of that, but yeah, it'd be nice if it was consistent, but I think it, it shouldn't be uh, quite often. It's a barrier to people doing the test. They say, well, I don't know how hard to run. I think once you just do anything, just try and go as fast as you can, then you've got some data to work on. And then the iteration of that data going forward is where the value really lies. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like one go and then that's it. You can have a couple of stabs and see what yeah. you fit. Like if you, okay, let me try this three minute max. And then you, you go guns blazing and you're keeled over by 60 seconds. <laughs> then you're probably thinking, yeah, okay, next time I'll try yeah. um, backing off a little bit and then see how long it can last. And if you do get closer to that three minutes and you might be fading in the last couple of seconds, then, you know, it's quite close to an accurate representation. Absolutely. That's exactly it. Okay, cool. Good to know. Um, as we wrap up, are there any kind of final takeaways or final tips you want the the runners um, to learn on this topic? Um, I'd say if you're if you're considering it, just bite the bullet, pick up the power meter, and start accumulating that data because the value really lies in having more data. So at the beginning, it might just look like you've got you know, you do a threshold test and you've got your threshold number, maybe you can build out your zones, but the more you run with it, the more feedback you're going to get. And the stride app is really useful for giving you ideas on, on where the low hanging fruit lies. So I, I've got a few people who are looking to sign up soon. And, and some of them have said, um, I'll do it after the next race, but I'm trying to encourage them to record the data of that next race, because that's really useful for the following race. When you down the track, when you do another race like that, you know, what kind of power you can put out, you know, where things started to go wrong in the race or where things were going right. So just accumulate that data. Now get, get one, wear it. Don't even bother looking at it. Maybe, maybe put a, the field on your watch so that you can just observe, but pick one up do a threshold test if you want, or just run with it and just observe, maybe you want to find correlations between the pace and um, your power or your heart rate and your power. And you just start getting, you get that feel really quickly. You go, oh, I know that 300 watts, I, I start to keel over, I start to die at 200 watts, it's nice and cruisy. So you start to link those things together, but accumulating the data really is where the value is. All right, how much are these stride devices going for these days? I think it's about 350 Aussie, maybe 200 and something US. Okay. Yeah. And which compared to um, say the, the bike power meter, which are a couple of grand or a new pair of um, Nike rocket shoes, it's um, this is going to last you several years and it's going to guide your training um, in a brilliant way. That's going to make you a faster athlete. Yeah. Good to know. And it does seem that you can interpret a whole bunch of different things in different ways. And I guess that's why someone with your expertise and your understanding of interpreting the data can be quite helpful. And you did mention at the start, you are a running coach that uh, follows this, these power um, outputs and the, the training programs quite closely. And so if anyone wants to work with you uh, and or wants to know more about working with you, where can they go? 
Um, you can go to runpowercoach.com, runpowercoach. Um, on Insta and Facebook, it's all runpowercoach, all one word, um, R-U-N-P-O-W-E-R-C-O-A-C-H. Very good. And where do you recommend people first go if they want to reach out? Do they go to social media so they just contact you on the website? Yeah, either either works. Social's good. I, um, I'm on Insta a little bit, uh, Facebook a little bit. But yeah, any of those will get through to me. Okay. And you do mainly one-on-one coaching with athletes? I do one-on-one face-to-face for technique, but the um, writing the power, writing the programs is all online. So they can be anywhere. Cool. Good to know. Um, great. Nathan, thanks for coming on. I actually didn't know much about power when uh, you reached out. And so it's good that I'm learning along the way as well and helped me or well, prompted me to dive into the research to look at it myself before like as research for this interview. So um, thanks for highlighting a whole bunch of things. And thanks for teaching me a whole bunch of new things. And thanks for educating the listeners. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get inner circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalog of patron only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic where I assess and treat runners from all over the world. So I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.